The, the, the last time I preached, we studied the life of Jeroboam, and this morning I want to study another Old Testament character about a generation earlier. There's this uh, pitiful scene in the Old Testament that involves a man who at one time was one of the most powerful men in Israel. He was heroic. He was successful. But in this particular scene in the Old Testament, he is in the tabernacle court uh, at the altar, hanging on to the horns of the altar, begging for mercy. His fate rests in the hands of a, of a righteous judge, a good man. But unfortunately, this man, who is not a good man, uh, the time of mercy has run out for him. How did he get in this place? How did he get here? I want us to review the life of Joab this morning and, and see what we can learn about selfishness and mercy and, and the fact that someday we will all face a righteous judge. I think maybe the, the overarching theme is, is this, that you don't want to go through life looking like a winner, but in the end, face, facing the ultimate judge, you, you come up wanting, kind of like Belteshazzar did weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, I'm fascinated by Joab. He is an interesting character. His life is... We have a lot recorded about this man, actually. And um, this is probably about the third time that I've tried to make a sermon out of his life. And finally, here we are. There, there's some challenges to this study. Three of them, maybe. One is that it's a big story, and so I have to tell a, lot of it, tell a lot of its parts pretty quickly and not go into as much details as I would care to. Another challenge is there's just a lot of names to keep up with in this story, and a lot of them start with A. And a lot of the men whose names start with A end up getting killed. So, uh, except for two men who are Abiathar the priest and Abishai, Joab's brothers, but anybody else, if his name starts with A, don't get too attached. Joab is, is a complicated man. Uh, he's not easy to put in a box. He's brave at times. He's, he's brave maybe at all times. He's loyal most times. He's wise sometimes. But he's also selfish and cunning and a murderer. Now here's how we're going to do this. I'll first give an overview of, of some of the things that we know about Joab, just briefly, and then we'll go through the major events in his life, and then we'll look at, at what we can learn from his life. I picked out about four, four lessons from his life. Just some background on Joab. He, his mom was named Zeruiah, and she was the sister of David. So David was Joab's uncle. Joab and his brothers are often referred to as the sons of Zeruiah, and often not in a good way, which makes me feel sorry for Zeruiah. I don't know who Joab's dad was. By the time that our story starts, his dad has already died. And he, we know that he was buried in Bethlehem because Joab's brother was buried next to him. I suspect that he died while Joab and his brothers were fairly young, 
just because they are known as the sons of Zeruiah and not the sons of whoever their dad was. Joab was a middle child. His elder brother was Abishai, who was one of David's mighty men. And he was the guy that went with David down into the camp, and uh, into Saul's camp, and was ready to kill Saul when, he, when they found Saul sleeping there. Quite eager to kill Saul. Joab's youngest brother was Azahel. He was also one of David's mighty men and could run like a wild gazelle. Joab joined up with David sometime after Saul's death. I'm sorry, sometime before Saul's death, and I'm not sure when. I'm guessing that Joab was with David the whole time that David was in the wilderness, but that's just a guess. We, we don't really know for sure how long he was with David. Joab had a complicated relationship with King David. Sometimes he seems very loyal. For example, in 2 Samuel 12, 28, he's about to capture a city, but he tells David to bring down the rest of the army and finish the job because he wants the city to be named after David, not after Joab. Or he was, he was worried that the city would be named after Joab. He shows loyalty to David by sticking with David when Absalom revolted. The Bible comments on that. He seems very interested in preserving his position as commander of the army, but he doesn't seem really interested in, in making an attempt on the throne himself. So in that sense, he's very loyal. But on the other hand, he did a number of major things that were clearly against David's wishes, like killing Absalom, for example, and these other two men, Abner and Amasa. So he had, a, had this complicated relationship with David. Sometimes he looks very loyal, and sometimes it looks like David's just barely holding on to him. Uh, finally, I'll say this about, about Joab's character. He was mostly a wicked man. But he did have some good points, and I want to be fair to him. He believed in God. He was mostly loyal to David. He was courageous. He was wise at times, thinking especially his advice to David after Absalom's death. And from all appearances, he was an excellent commander. I don't think he ever lost a battle. He was a winner, and maybe that was part of his downfall. In the end, what we'll see about Joab, thanks, is that he was willing to do whatever it takes to get his way, even murder. And the big difference between him and David is that Joab, there's, there's no sign of repentance. Now let's go through some of these major events in Joab's life. The first scene that we'll come to is in 2 Samuel 2 and 3. It's Joab's murder of Abner. Abner was Saul's commander. And actually, he was the fellow that introduced David to Saul after uh, David killed Goliath. After Saul died in battle, there's the civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Abner led the, army, the former army of Saul, and the army of David was under the command of Joab. And in the battle between these two armies, Joab kills, I'm sorry, Abner kills Joab's brother, Azahel. 
Now, Abner does not want to kill Joab's brother. In fact, one of the things he tells Azahel while Azahel is chasing him is, why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? Now, early in the story, this early in the story, I already get the impression that Joab is not the kind of guy that you want to be on the bad side of. You know, the fact that this would occur to Abner even in the middle of battle while he's being chased by Azahel running for his life, I think that says something. Uh, Unfortunately for Azahel, the Bible says that he is as swift as a wild gazelle and Abner cannot outrun him. And even though he was Saul's uncle and probably getting on up in age, he manages to kill Azahel, Joab's brother. Now, Joab's army is victorious that day. And finally, Abner and his army are trapped up at the top of a hill. And Abner calls down to Joab for mercy. And he uses some words that I think are are very fitting for Joab. Uh, He says, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? You know, if I... If I found Joab's grave somewhere and and I got to put a a gravestone over it, that's probably the inscription I would pick. The sword is bitter in the latter end. It just kind of sums up his whole life, I think. Well, Joab does let let Abner and the rest of the army go home at that point. He he calls off the battle. They've, They've done enough damage. Later, Abner defects to David. And he goes to work at, at bringing the rest of Israel under uh, to, in, to support David, to follow David. He comes to Hebron. He meets with David. Joab is gone on a raid at this time. And when Joab comes back, Abner has already left. But Joab is quite upset to find out that Abner has been there. And he tells David, don't you realize that he was just here to spy out you know, what's going on here? And so he sends messengers out to Abner. David is unaware of this. The Bible makes that clear. And he calls him back, calls Abner back, meets him in the gate, takes him aside, and murders him. And the Bible says it was for the blood of Azahel. I noticed one Bible dictionary said that, that Joab killed Abner because uh, David had offered the, the command of the army to Abner. No, that's, that, I don't see any sign of that. Uh, That happened later in Amasa. So I think the guys who were writing the dictionary were getting confused with all these A words. Also, all these names that started with A. So Joab killed Abner because he killed Azahel. David is very upset and he cursed Joab quite eloquently and ordered Joab and the others to put on sackcloth and mourn for Abner, which must have been a little awkward for Joab dressing up in mourning for the guy he murdered. One of the things that David says in mourning for Abner is this, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. In other words, Abner did not die because he'd been seized by the law, bound and fettered and executed by the law. He was a free man. He was murdered. If Joab had really had a, a, a valid case, a blood feud against Abner, you know, he should have let that, let that to the law to carry out. But Joab is not willing in waiting for the law or God to set things right. He quickly takes things into his own hands. Unlike David, David would not have done this. David also makes this interesting statement. 
which different translations uh, translate very differently. I'll read it from the ESV. And I was gentle today. Some translations say, and I am weak today. Though anointed king, these men, these sons of Zeruiah, are more, are more severe, and other translations say are too difficult, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So it's a little hard to, to understand exactly what he's saying there, but the general gist of it is these sons of Zeruiah are really tough for me to deal with. Now, I know they may have been tough for David to work with, but I think David makes a mistake here in not dealing with Joab in a more severe way. Uh, David himself refers to Joab as a wicked man, as an evildoer. Should you really leave him in charge of your army? Do you really want this man to be like the second most powerful in command? So that was the murder of Abner in uh, very early on in the story. And now we're going to jump to 2 Samuel 11, the conspiracy against Uriah. It's the second scene from Joab's life that I want to look at. His part in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And I'm not going to say too much here because this is a familiar story. Uh, you remember how David sinned against Bathsheba and then decided to have uh, Bathsheba's husband killed, Uriah. And David had Uriah himself carry a letter back to Joab. Uh, the instructions to Joab to have to arrange the battle so that Uriah would be killed, murdered. And Joab follows out David's instructions apparently without hesitation, which is odd to me. Because Joab always seems like the kind of guy that, would, that had the nerve and the power to stand up to David when he wanted to. But in this case, he doesn't. And, and Uriah was one of Joab's mighty, man, mighty men. Uh, he was a great fighter, apparently, and, and should have been very valuable to Joab. I don't know why Joab does not object. There's no back and forth between David and Joab at all here. He just does what David wants. I don't know why he cooperated. I, I do wonder. Maybe he hated Uriah for some other reason we don't know about. Maybe he had a grudge against Uriah. Or maybe he saw this as an opportunity to gain some kind of leverage um, over David. He, he was a schemer. Joab was a schemer. I do think it says a lot to us about Joab's character. Well, for one thing, that he did this. And for another thing, that David sent this letter to him. I mean, he basically sent Joab a letter saying, murder this man. Joab was the kind of man that David felt okay with sending that kind of letter to. Next scene is the rebellion of Absalom in 2 Samuel 18. God told David, one of the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah was this, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, which is exactly what happened. Amnon sins against Tamar, Absalom kills Amnon, and then Absalom is exiled. Joab persuaded David to bring Absalom back out of exile. And honestly, I have no idea why. So I'll just leave that. He brought, he, Joab persuaded David to bring Absalom out of exile. Several years later, Absalom revolts against David. And David has to flee Jerusalem. 
Joab remains faithful to David and sticks with David during this time. And he is uh, leading the troops. And as battle... Uh, as the battle draws near between Absalom's men and David's men and David's soldiers are going out of the city to this battle, David gives orders to all of the commanders, especially Joab and Abishai are mentioned. He tells them, deal gently for my sake with young Absalom. Well, they didn't. In the, in the forest of Ephraim, the men of Israel are defeated by Joab's army. Absalom... Uh, was riding on a, on a mule. His hair was caught in the branches of an oak tree. And I'll just read some of these verses from 2 Samuel 18, verse 10. And a certain man sought and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Which observation Again, gives us a, a little glimpse into Job's character that uh, if, if you get in trouble, don't count on Joab to stick his neck out for you. He's, he's looking out for number one. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. So much for, for inquiring of the Lord here. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him, I guess in case three javelins weren't enough. Uh, Joab was obviously far from, from willing to listen to David about dealing gently with Absalom. He was, in fact, willing to reward his men for killing Absalom, and they killed him quite savagely. Joab apparently believed that Absalom needed to die in this situation, and he may have been right. It, it may have been that that's what it took to just to put an end to this rebellion. And, and we don't know if, if David ever found out that Joab was the one who killed Absalom. Now, I think he probably did, but the Bible doesn't say that he ever found out. Uh, David poured out his grief quite openly, and it says that as a result, the returning soldiers went by stealth into the city as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. And then Joab had some stern words for David. And I think they were actually wise words. He says this, You have covered, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that Commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would have been pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. 
The next scene is the murder of Amasa, 2 Samuel 20. Even though Absalom had been defeated, that doesn't automatically mean that all the people who were supporting Absalom are now supporting David. So David appeals to the elders of Judah to bring him back as king. And part of that appeal included an offer to Amasa, the former commander of Absalom's army, to be the commander of David's army. Now, why would David do that? Amasa really deserved to be executed for treason, didn't he? I mean, he was he had rebelled, part of the rebellion. Why would David offer to make him commander of his army? I think this was just David's effort to win support from, from the people who had been followers of Abner. Now, in, in being restored to the throne, the, Judah comes around and supports David again. And in that process, there's some jealousy um, aroused between the tribe of Judah and the other tribes. This was kind of a constant problem. And it says that a, a worthless fellow named Sheba took the opportunity to cause yet another rebellion. And so David quickly asks Amasa, his new commander, go out and get all the, the troops together. We need to take care of Sheba quickly. Well, Amasa takes too long. And, and so, so David finally sends out Abishai, mentions Abishai, Joab's brother, not Joab now, sends Abishai out with the troops, but Joab went along, tagged along. And um, on the way, they meet Amasa. And Joab now is the one who comes up to Amasa, and he says, is it well with you, my brother? A good line for Amasa might have been, not for long. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, and he puts a sword in him. The Bible adds some details that I'll leave out. So Amasa was uh, Joab's cousin, by the way. Uh, Absalom was Joab's cousin, so he's now killed two of his cousins. Uh, so I'm guessing that um, family reunions were kind of awkward by now. The, the next thing I want to take you to is the counting of the troops in 1 Chronicles 21. Or is it 1 Chronicles 2? Now, I, I forgot the, the colon between the 2 and the 12, so I don't know. It's 1 Chronicles 21. Uh, the counting of the troops. Now, what we've seen of Joab so far, you would just conclude that he is a man with no morals. Well, that's not quite true. Uh, definitely, it's been the pattern that we've seen. He's a wicked man. But this event makes our story a little more complicated. And, and the truth is, people are complicated. Joab was a complicated man. First Chronicles 21, I'll just read this snippet here. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord the king, all of them my lord's servants? Why then should my lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. David asked Joab to count the troops. That was a violation of God's law. 
Joab's behavior in this situation really can't be faulted. It, it makes our story a little more complicated, the fact that he, he, he can have some morals in, in some places. All I can say is that sometimes unrighteous people do the right thing. Um, I don't understand why Joab has a problem with counting the Israelites, but doesn't have a problem with killing Uriah the Hittite. But sometimes wicked people do the right thing, and in this situation, he did the right thing. Sometimes good people do evil things, like David. All right, last scene of his life is, is the conspiracy and death. First Kings 1 and 2. As David was approaching death, Joab and Abiathar conspired with his eldest son, Adonijah, to help Adonijah become king. Apparently, Abiathar, the priest, and Joab saw this as being beneficial to their future. Nathan, the priest, finds out about this and tells Bathsheba. She's, she goes before David and, tell, and tells him what is going on and begs for mercy for herself and Solomon. Nathan comes in and confirms everything Bathsheba was saying. And upon hearing this, David, who can sometimes be fairly slow to action, to getting things taken care of, in this particular case, he is quite decisive and immediately has Solomon anointed king. So uh, Solomon is crowned, the horn is blown, the people rejoice. And meanwhile, Adonijah and Joab and the other people partying with them get kind of nervous. It says, all the, all the guests of Adonijah were terrified and they arose and each went on his own way, probably quite quickly. Adonijah went and took hold of the horns of the altar and uh, begged for mercy. And Solomon is merciful to Adonijah at this time and does not kill him. In the meantime, David is dying and he leaves this charge to Solomon. Solomon. He says, moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner, and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray hair, his gray head, go down to Sheol in peace. So David instructs Solomon to punish Joab. Solomon, he doesn't say what Solomon should do necessarily, but Sol, and Solomon doesn't do anything initially. In the meantime, Adonijah makes this grave mistake of one last attempt at the throne. And Solomon recognizes what's going on and has Adonijah executed. Solomon also apparently believes that Joab and Abiathar are still involved in this uh, second attempt. I don't know for sure if, if they were or not, but, but Solomon believes that they were. And he deals with Abiathar, the priest, by saying, you, you know, you go into exile, go home. He gets him out of office, although he told him that he deserves to die. And then I'll read this part from 1 Kings 2. When the news came to Joab, when Joab found out that Solomon had dealt that way with Abiathar, when the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told King Solomon, 
Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus did Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he said, strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David he attacked and killed with a sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Demasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah which I don't necessarily view those two men as all that righteous, but Solomon thought they were still better than, than Joab by far. Then Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. What can we learn from Joab? I've picked out four lessons Fairly simple lessons. Um, all scripture is useful, and this story about Joab, I think, is useful. The first lesson that we can learn from Joab is this that we need to be merciful because we need mercy. In the end, we need mercy. You do not want to get in Joab's way. Uh, when Abner killed Joab's brother, it was, um, there was no chance that Joab was going to let Abner get away with that. Law or no law, Joab was going to kill him, and he did. When David offered to make Amasa commander of his army, even though I think that was a mistake, it was like David signing Amasa's death warrant. Joab is not going to let that happen. You know, he wants to be the commander. He was a ruthless man, when it came to whoever got in his way. But the sword is bitter in the end. And when Joab was hanging on the horns of the altar and desperately needed mercy himself, there wasn't any. <clears throat> he was facing a good and righteous judge, and he came up wanting. And so, because we're all going to face judgment someday, we need to be merciful people. And you don't have to be a fierce Old Testament warrior to be an unmerciful man. There's a lot of ways to be unmerciful that don't involve a sword. And now would be a good time for Sophie to sit down. All right. That happened to me once, I think, when me and Ivan were sitting on the, on the front bench, and Dad was up here, and we were carrying on, and, and Dad had to interrupt his sermon. So... Part of the process. We need to be merciful because we need mercy. There's, and there's lots of ways to be unmerciful. that don't. You don't have to be like Joab to be an unmerciful man. The second point is this. A, a selfish life is, is really self-destructive in the end. Uh, one of the, the general observations I would make about Joab is that he, he seemed to pretty much live his life for Joab. Uh, David and Joab were both fierce warriors <clears throat> but David is, it seems so different from Joab. Uh, D David goes out of his way to worship and serve God and does things like, uh, well, he, he wants to build a temple for God. God turns him down. 
He, he brings back the Ark of the Covenant. Um, he refuses to kill Saul because he's the Lord's anointed. You don't see that kind of stuff going on in Joab's life. You don't get the impression that, jo- that God was really a major priority for Joab. Um, you know, if, I have to think that if Joab had been in David's place and had been anointed king in place of Saul, I think Joab would have probably killed Saul the next time he was in the palace. He not, not even waited for a cave. With, with a couple of, of exceptions, Joab pretty much lived his life for Joab. And when you get to the end of his life, it's ironic how he ends up getting killed, really. Um, because it's, it's like he had this cloud of judgment hanging over him because of his wicked and selfish decisions. And what finally uh, triggers his execution is one last act of selfishness. His, his conspiracy with Adonijah. That's kind of what really brings it all to a head. Joab, why, why did he do that? He saw some advantage in it for himself. A way for him maybe to hang on to his position as commander, I don't know. But if he hadn't been so greedy, uh, maybe Solomon, Solomon would have let him live. So a selfish life is self-destructive. It, it destructs because it, it piles up judgment on itself. Even though it may look very successful, it's, it's accumulating judgment. And a selfish life is not prone to repentance. In fact, I don't know if you can repent selfishly. I don't think it's possible. And Joab does not repent. So a selfish life is self-destructive. The third thing, the third lesson, is that unresolved sin spreads. Uh, We do need to be merciful people, but at the same time, we need to deal with sin for the good of ourselves and for the good of those around us. David should have dealt with Joab, I think, way earlier. Back when Joab killed Abner, David should have done something. He probably should have had him executed, if not maybe exiled, at the very least removed from his position. He should not have continued as commander. And like I said, David did seem a little slow to to deal with problems, and and it cost him here. Um, That's not a good formula when it comes to sin issues, slowness. Slowness. Here's what happened. Because David did not deal with Joab, Joab was there when David needed Uriah the Hittite killed. Joab killed Absalom and then in some of the fallout. And then Joab killed Amasa. If Joab hadn't been there, maybe some of these things wouldn't have even happened. Not that it was all Joab's fault, but he was an accomplice. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but if a decent man with some morals had been leading David's army at the time that David had that incident with Bathsheba and wanted to kill Uriah, maybe David wouldn't have even sent that letter. You know, he wouldn't have sent that letter to Nathan the prophet. He wouldn't have sent that letter to to Saul's son Jonathan, I don't think, and definitely wouldn't have sent the letter to Uriah. You know, but Joab was there. And David felt perfectly fine sending him a letter saying, get Uriah killed. So Joab was a thorn in David's flesh in more ways than one. He made it easy for David to commit serious sin. So that is the the cost of unresolved sin. It, It spreads. And the last point that I would make is that 
You can be a religious hero, but live for self. There were times when Joab looked like a pretty good guy, like a hero for Israel and for God. For example, there's the story about in which the Ammonites get in trouble with David. They mistreated some of David's men, apparently without thinking too deeply about the consequences, which would be a good lesson in itself. Uh, they mistreated his men, David's men, sent them home, and then afterward they started to think about, this might have been a mistake. And so they quickly hire a bunch of um, Syrian soldiers to protect them. And sure enough, David reacts by sending out the troops led by Joab. And Joab and his troops get caught in the trap with the Ammonites on one side and the Syrians on the other. And Joab quickly reacts and has the army split in two. Actually, I'm not sure if it was split in two or not. He, it says he picks out some of the best men to face the Syrians on the one side and leaves Abishai and the rest to face the Ammonites. And he says, if they're too strong for you, I'll come help you. If they're too strong for me, you come help me. And he doesn't say what will happen if they're too strong for both of them. Guess didn't need to be said. And he says these words. He says uh, some words that could sound like any hero of faith. He says, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And they defeated the Ammonites. He, he definitely looks like a religious hero in that spot. And he won many battles for David and Israel and God. And even though Joab had apparently accomplished great things for God, he was still on the inside a selfish, scheming man. Which reminds me of the verses that have been were mentioned a couple of times in Sunday school this morning about the, the people that uh, say, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do my, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Joab could have said, Solomon, Solomon, and made a pretty good case for himself. You know, didn't I win all those battles for your dad? Uh, defeated the house of Saul, conquered Edom, defeated the Ammonites, saved your neck during the rebellion of Absalom. No, you did those things, but you're a worker of lawlessness, a wicked man. So in the eyes of some, Joab may have been a religious hero, but in the eyes of God, he was a wicked man who deserved to die. Because he was living for himself. He was a selfish man, an unrepentant man. So in conclusion, um, someday we are all going to face a righteous judge and give an account, Romans 2.6. He will render to each one according to his works. Um, I have to think that if Joab had known that he would eventually be held accountable, he would have lived his life differently or at least repented. And... Um, I guess I'll just wrap it up by saying this, that you can look like a winner all through your life, but in the end, when facing the judge, when you, when, when you face the judge, that's what really matters. And you do not want to end up in the place where you looked good, but in reality, you are lacking on the inside. Uh, what, what matters is, is living your life for God and not for yourself.
Now, we're going to wrap this up here um, and, and close at the same time. I think what I'll do is I'll have us stand for closing prayer, and then I'll ask Joe just to come up and almost called you Joab, just to come up and, and lead us in a, in a closing song, and we'll be dismissed after that. Let's stand for prayer.